Hello, I'm Rachel Moore, President and CEO of the Music Center. As Los Angeles' premier performing arts destination, the Music Center presents some of the world's greatest performances and provides the platform for the most innovative and creative artistic minds who set the standard for excellence. On Offstage and Unbound, I have the pleasure of speaking with many of these artistic visionaries where we delve into their processes, explore what inspires them, and discuss the state of the arts in Los Angeles and the world. Hello, we are so pleased to bring you the third installment of our podcast series, Offstage and Unbound featuring the talented choreographer and dancer from Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater, Hope Boykin. Hope is a North Carolina native who attended Howard University. While she was living in Washington, D.C., she performed with Lloyd Whitmore's New World Dance Company. Hope was a student and intern at the Ailey School, assistant to the late Tally Beatty, and an original member of Complexions. Hope joined Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater in the year 2000 and has choreographed three stunning works for the company. They include Acceptance in Surrender in 2005 in collaboration with fellow Ailey Company dancers Abdur Rahim Jackson and Matthew Rushing. Go in Grace in 2008 with music by the award-winning singing group Sweet Honey in the Rock and her most recent piece, Revolution Dream, which was inspired by the speeches and sermons of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. with original music by Allie Jackson. We at the Music Center are so pleased to have provided commissioning support to Hope's new work, Revolution Dream. Hope is a three-time recipient of the American Dance Festival's Young Tuition Scholarship and received a New York Dance and Performance Award, also known as a Bessie. Well, hello, Hope, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. For the past 17 years, you've been captivating Ailey audiences with your command, your presence on stage, and your grace. Did you always want to be a dancer, or did this come later in your childhood? Thank you for saying that I'm captivated. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we all want to hear that kind of thing, I guess. Um, I think that I've always loved dance, and my mom you know, takes full credit for all of the work that I've been able to accomplish because she allowed me to try so many different things and then, you know, was okay with, with dance being the thing that I chose. But I, I didn't know until much later that I could actually live off of it and pay a bill and have insurance and a company and travel the world and, you know, and do all the things that, that this organization, this this company, you know, the legacy of Alvin Ailey has allowed me to do. It was just amazing. And it's kind of hard to believe, actually. <laughs> but it's something that's definitely stirred inside of me, but I didn't know the, the, the full reality of what being a professional dancer um, was for a really long time. I understand when you were young and grew up in Durham, uh, North Carolina, that you did a lot of training in gymnastics, do you think I did. I, I actually competed for a while. Oh, wow. Until I got scared. Yeah, until I got scared. I was like, oh, I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> it, was just, it was just the end. It was just that simple. I would, I would compete, and then I would scratch bars. 
oh. you know, so I could never be all around. I think I might have been 10, 12 or something, and I, I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. So I would just touch the bar and walk away. Oh, like wow. They even had the settings for the next gymnast wow. already fixed because I just wasn't going to do it. And wow. then by the time, you know, I was over the beam, uh-huh. it was done. It was, it was pointless to continue. <laughs> well, I've got to say, you have to be fearless on the beam. Yeah. Yeah, and I just got tired of getting hurt, I think. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or falling. Falling was, I was over falling. Yeah. Falling. <laughs> After that. Yeah. Falling is bad. I don't mind falling dead. <laughs> I don't mind slipping and falling and, you know, and being injured and coming back. It's just been, it's just different. It's different. Well, I think of, you know, when I watch gymnastics, I think of gymnasts being incredibly good jumpers and turners. Did you think that that helped yeah. you with your dance? Um, I think that the the actual, even though I claim not to be as fearless now, but I think that the, the gymnastics helped me do so many things. You know, I definitely was a jumper, um, considered a jumper by, you know, my dance cohorts at the time, and I love to turn fast, and I believe in fast dancing, fast movement, actually. I think it's, it's something that came easy to me. Mm-hmm. But um, I think everything about gymnastics has helped my my dance career for sure. I am a muscular dancer in the physical sense, which was a deterrent for a lot of people um, for a long time. And I, you know, that's a that's another conversation, or maybe later in this one. But but that that physicality actually um, promoted a lot of challenges in my mm. career. Oh, and, and but I but I love that that I've overcome that or gained control of it, if I could say it like that, maybe. Do you think that over the years you trained differently to manage that physicality? Absolutely. I think that had I known uh, some of the things that I know now, which I wouldn't tra- I wouldn't change how I learned them, but had I known some of the things I know now, I may not ha- have been so injured or, um, or had so many different trials physically. You know, I just didn't take care of my body the way that I could have had I had more information behind it. I don't blame anyone. So right. I think things could have been a little bit different. Dancers are notoriously stubborn when it comes to injuries anyway. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. You know, it's so true that you say that because there are special, um, we have a really special uh, physician in New York, and he says, so this is what I think. What are you going to do? <laughs> and I, and I appreciate that he knows that I probably will choose something different than he um, advises, but at least he knows, right? <laughs> right. And I think, you know, dancers are incredibly impatient with the healing process. Yes, yes. Want to get back on stage and don't want to lose out. And even though rationally you know that it's not the right thing, it is a very hard thing to not come back too quickly. It, it is, but you learn it once you get a little bit older. And I can I can tell you that my first experience was in high school, and it was my senior, I guess you know my graduating concert at my at my dance school in Durham, and I sprained my ankle, and I sprained it so badly. But I happened to go to a school that had uh, one of the leading, you know, where I I went to school with uh, students who one of the leading uh, sports medicine doctors at Duke University mm. got a chance to see me. And he said, so, yeah, you're going to probably want to dance, but I would suggest that you took this performance off, and I didn't. <laughs> and I taped my foot, and at that point, I didn't realize that I could have just makeup on. 
So what I did was I bought some electrical tape in brown and taped it back on. Oh, my God. And I danced anyway. And I'm probably still paying for that, but, you know, I needed to dance. And right. I watched the videos of it. I shake my head, you know, myself, but I needed to do it, so I did. Wow. So one of the things that has always impressed me about Ailey is you guys tour all the time. I mean, it feels yes. like weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks on tour all over the world. And do you feel that all this touring has impacted your voice as a dancer and your voice as a choreographer? Absolutely. Renee Robinson, former company member, dancer, artist, queen of the stage, said Mr. Ailey always told her and then the other dancers who were in the company at the time that they should, when they get to a new city, they should walk around, they should go to the museums, they should meet people. And I found that to be true. I found that the fact that I know when I get to a certain city that I've got friends there or I'm looking forward to going to a restaurant or I want to go back to, you know, the Rodin Museum in Paris because I was so filled and I can't wait to take someone. Those things have completely informed how I see the world. You know, it is not limited. It is not small. It is open and and embracing. And there's so many different paths and so many different, for you know, lack of a better term, streets and roads to go down that it's impossible not to try it. There are times when I feel really guilty about not leaving the hotel because I'm tired. And then you hear someone went to a jazz club and they heard such and such sing or ran into a beautiful fountain. Those things are just immeasurable. I can't count all of the, the glory that I've seen on tour. I mean, we really have traveled the world. We really have. There are so few places I can say I haven't been. Um, with this company. 17 years is a long time. <laughs> so so it's been incredible. Alvin Ailey was quoted as saying, dance is for everybody. It strikes me that dance can play an incredible role as a cultural ambassador, breaking down barriers and cultural barriers, language barriers, societal barriers. Do you think dance can address social justice issues? Um, I think it can. I think it does. I think it has for so long. We are living time right now where we think that we've got to do something, and I think we just have to continue to do what we've been doing. Um, You know, Mr. Ailey created the company in 1958 during the Civil Rights Movement. All of the people that we listen to now or read their books, they were friends. So it's like we're just learning something that's already been put in place. And we, we may think as a society, let's say as young people, I would say we, we may think that it's new, we've, but it's not new. We just have to follow directions. We have to listen to the history. We've got to reread it so that we can find out the best way, the most effective way to do things. We're called as artists to be true and honest to what the times are telling us. Mm-hmm. And if we are honest with ourselves, then the good things will come out of it. I can remember going to Asia, I think, for the first time and performing for audiences that couldn't speak English, but something about Revelations moved them. Mm-hmm. There was no applause right away. And I remember thinking, oh, did they like it? And then there was this roar, like a rumbling roar that came up. And I said, see, even people don't even understand the language. It's like listening to to a beautiful aria. You're not really sure what they're saying, but you're crying and you don't know why. And and that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're called to do. And then we're not being true if we don't do it. I sometimes feel that there are emotions 
that can be exquisitely expressed in dance, and it's hard to express them verbally. The mm-hmm. depths of despair. Think of Martha Graham's Lamentations and how when I watch that, I've never read a poem or a book that has touched me in the way of how that dance did in terms of mourning and grief. And so I think that there is something mm-hmm. special about dance that can communicate in different ways. I believe that there's a gospel song, and I really wish I could think of it. I almost want to say it was one of the Hawkins, but I wouldn't want to, wouldn't want you to quote me fully. But they talk about when there are no words left, all you have to do is moan. Mm-hmm. And if you think about a person that moans, a person is also rocking. Mm-hmm. So there's this movement in this moaning, this longing. Do you know what I mean? To say something that you can't find the words for. And that's exactly what dance does. You know, I completely agree with you. In this age of incredible technology, people talk about people aren't going to the theaters. And I've always felt that there is a unique relationship between the performer and the audience that cannot be replicated in any other Mm -hmm. way. How do you feel about that? I completely agree with you. I think that as much as we enjoy technology and as much as it does for so many who are not able to come or people who are not able to reach us because we may not go to their city or their town, it does provide a way, it does provide a link, so to speak, to teach people what they may not be able to get. But if we are able to touch someone, if you are able to experience a live performance, you're going to get something that was just for you. It wasn't edited. It wasn't cut. It wasn't manipulated. It's touching you directly. And you can sit next to a person and and have a completely different experience. And it's a one-time experience. Even when you go back, again, you'll see something different. And I I feel that way when I watch the company over and over again. I know what, I've seen Matthew Rushing dance so many things. But every time I go to the stage and watch him repeat Revelations or even this new piece he gets to dance in that I made, (laughs) I'm I'm watching it for the first time. And I'm just thrilled about it. And you can only have that experience if you see a performance live. Like I said, it doesn't diminish what the recordings can do when a person can't get to the theater. But it's it's something pretty special. It really is, I think. I, uh, I totally agree. So Revolution Dream will have its West Coast premiere at the Music Center next week. And this piece, I understand, was inspired by your visit to the Center for Civil and Human Rights in Atlanta, which I understand is sort of a mix between a museum and a center of engagement. What was it about that visit that inspired you to create this piece? Well, we went to the museum as a visit to start to celebrate and begin a collaborative effort with Atlanta. And I went because I was portraying Odetta in the piece that Matthew choreographed. Mm. And so I was excited to see all of the things that Matthew researched come to life. There are these interactive installations, I should say, that that you can sit down at the lunch counter and you feel, Mm. you put on headphones and you can feel the trembling and you hear loud voices in your ear. And, you know, you go from one room to the other and you're able to change the channels on these televisions that, that, that just really move you. And so everything is so interactive until you get to this one room where you see footage of Dr. King's funeral and how his, you know, coffin is being taken through the streets of Atlanta and around through universities. And then you start to hear his voice um, with an excerpt of the drum major instinct. And I sat there just, I couldn't, honestly, 
it was like the rhythm and the sound and the cadence of his voice, along with the, these images that I hadn't seen, was so overwhelming that I just didn't quite know what to do with it. I spoke to a friend of mine and was telling him what some of the key words were because I just couldn't even remember what I had seen or what he was really talking about at the time. And we found out it was the drum major instinct and I downloaded it and went to iTunes and bought something. You know, it was just like this grasping at straws type, how can I get more information? And it turned into something that I, I was shocked. I was getting all of this knowledge from something that I knew. You grow up hearing speeches and sermons. You grow up studying about Dr. King, but it was as if it was being spoken to me or it was being unpacked in a different way. And I couldn't deny that I wanted to move to his voice. Mm. So I went into the studio and I started to move to it. And actually, I was in the studio upstairs in the music center and created a really large portion of what you'll see. Oh, great. <laughs> from, you know, no, seriously, like I have videotape or iPhone, iPhoneography of me in the studio with some dancers saying, oh, I don't know, you know, had no idea where this movement was going to land. We didn't know what, it didn't have a name, it didn't have anything. But I, it was made there. It was made on various stages from tour because we traveled so much and I just wanted to say something. And I didn't know what was going to happen. But I knew I needed to say something. And then it turned into something. And I'm really grateful for being able to perform it there because it does mean a lot to come back when you were in the creative process and then you get to watch it come to life. You know, the manifestation of it on stage is crazy. The idea of it is crazy. And scary, right? (laughs) Yeah, I'm completely frightening. But I'm so (laughs) blessed. Like, I keep watching it and I keep thinking, well, do I need to change this? Or do I need to fix that? Or or whatever, and the the dancers in the company have given me so much life and breath with this. I mean, can you imagine having the the most incredible dancers in the world listening to you doing what you say? (laughs) 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 It's really crazy. I had to go up to them and say, you know, a little bit more of this. And you're like, you're telling someone that you admire a little bit more or a little bit less. It's kind of, it's not, but it's a blessing. And the support from the company, the support, from Robert Battle when he's like, oh, I like this idea. <laughs> and the, the clip from the music center, from that studio upstairs, I showed him. And he was like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> like, great. Okay, let's see. It's just been crazy. I, I, I've been telling people, hashtag support equals success. Ah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's one of my hashtags. When did you start to choreograph? What was it that, you know, was it early on in your dancing career? Or did it take a number of years for you to feel like you had... Something to say? Do you want to hear something funny? I can't believe I'm going to admit this to you, but I guess I thought I could do something better. So I would try. Wow. So if I had the, if I had the chance, I'd do it like this. Like it was one of those things. Well, if I could do it, I think she should do eight flaps instead of seven in a step. You know? Like, that is I was, awesome. I love it. Just kind of just kind of bossy, I guess, though. <laughs> My mom always says, you want to have it your way. And I'm like, well, okay. So I tried it. And it's been interesting. I think that that what you want to do is have the opportunity to fail at something. And um, but I say that very loosely because I've just been taught that failure is a lack of imagination. I was at a, a discussion symposium type. I forget what they call it at the Met of Carrie James Marshall, 
And he said failure was a lack of options. And I thought, wow, I have to stop saying it. But having the opportunity to not do the thing that you intended or to see that it didn't work out the way that you planned and then to get a chance to start again or to have another opportunity to create again is really another blessing because sometimes you think you only have one chance to do it right. But with this organization, this will be the third time that I've been able to put something on stage. The first time is in collaboration with Abdul Rahim Jackson and Matthew Rushing, and then with Sweet Honey and the Rock, Going Grace. And then this is the third time, and I feel like I've learned from every one of those experiences. So I keep growing as a choreographer. And, and my influences have not kept me from doing it. Actually, my friend Matthew said that when he got over the fact that he had been influenced by so many choreographers and that his movement showed influence, he was okay to create. He had to be okay with the fact that he'd been taught these things, and those things were a part of what came out of him. And there's nothing new under the sun. So an arabesque is an arabesque in 1940. You know, the shape may be different, but it's still called an arabesque. So I'm not going to create a new step. It's just the voice sounds different, I think. One of the great things about Ailey is, as a company, is you guys get to do a lot of work from different choreographers. You're not single choreographer specific. And so that must be liberating for you. It is because you get to change it every night. You get to change your mind. Even the fact that we are a pretty large company, you get to change your partners even from day to day. So you're not sure what feeling you're going to get. It's a marvel in the dance world because you think you want to try to recreate what you did the night before, but it's impossible because it's a different person picking you up. It's a different stage. It's a different audience. And the steps may be different. The choreography is different because one night we perform Revolution Dream and then we close with Revelations and then the next night it'll start with Winter in Lisbon. It's a completely different program. So you have to set your hat differently, set your cap differently. Deborah Chase Hicks told me that. She's a former Ailey member. She said, change your head, change your hat so that you can change your costume so that your, your whole mind, your brain is focused on another side. The Ailey Company does Revelations a lot. And it's interesting, how do you keep that fresh in your mind every night? I don't think that the Revelations is something that we can phone in. I can count the amount of times I haven't felt like doing it, and maybe on two hands now. But I've been sick, I've been injured, and maybe I've been hungry, you know what I mean, or something like that. But something that distracts you, it's been rare. And I think that's because this piece came through Mr. Ailey and not necessarily from him. I think he was honest and obedient and allowed the work to happen. And that's why it's lasted so long. And that's why it's beyond any of us. We go out and do, we do what he's asked us to do, transfer it through Ms. Jamison, Masuzumi Chaya, and now Mr. Battle, and, and then through Matthew Rushing as rehearsal director. We're doing what they tell us. We're, we're following the, the information. But then the audience sees what it's intended to see, I believe. It's not just um, hope on stage, but it's, it's the idea of revelation. I speak to a lot of the kids' performances, the many performances, and I like to say that the revelation speaks to the human spirit, which means it's beyond what I can bring to it. You know, Alvin Ailey's blood memories and the human spirit. And that means that it's greater than I am, and I just have to be obedient and do the man steps. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, I think that's that's really beautiful. So you're also a writer. Has the written word come to you as easily as dance has? If I were to be completely honest, I would say it might be more simple even. Hmm. And I didn't know it. I have gone back and looked at things that it, I've written 15 years ago, and they sound exactly the same. I write in the same cadence and the same form and the same focus that I did then. So I think maybe I didn't allow it to be a real truth of mine. Mm. I hid from it, but I'm not hiding that much anymore. A little bit I still am, but you know, clearly I'm not hiding because I included some of my stuff in this with the inspiration of Dr. King. I wrote some things that are in Revolution Dreams, so it's weird. And I look around when I'm in the audience, I'm looking around to see, oh my gosh, do they know that I'm... Don't judge me, but but judge me at the same time, because when you put it out there, you put it out there for people to um, experience, so. Right, absolutely. What's next for you? Oh, I'm living what's next. (laughs) I am. I really am. It's not a safe answer or a correct, you know, answer for, for this discussion. I really am doing all of the things that I want to do, and I have support behind it. Mm -hmm. You know, I can, I can email someone and say, oh, look, I just wrote this, or I can send a link to something that I just, you know, I was on stage and I thought about this. Or I teach company class. I teach master classes. I have workshops that I get to experience during off time. During a week off, I'm going to a high school in San Diego to choreograph something brand new. I have no idea. I haven't chosen the music. I have no idea what the topic is going to be. But, but everything is continuing. And maybe when I first joined the company, I didn't know if I was going to be able to keep this part of me that I loved so much, but I'm able to mentor young people. I'm able to work with musical artists, with movement and choreographing for them. I mean, it's just like it's never ending, but I, it doesn't mean that I'm going to stop what I'm doing right now. It just means that I get to add to this long list of, yay, I love my life. So at the beginning of this interview, you mentioned that as a young dancer, you didn't appreciate that you could make a life as a performer. What advice do you give to young dancers as they're leaping, as it were, from the school to the stage? I think it's really important that young artists or artists in the making realize that they don't know it all and they won't know, they won't know it all. And they have to keep their box, so to speak, the lid of their box open. And they have to keep it open for several reasons. One is that people need to fill it with as much information and take in as much information as as they can. They need to listen and understand that something came before them, and then that will just inform their future and inform where they are. But then they also need to make sure that they know what good they can contribute and what good they are contributing. Because our teachers and educators and choreographers and you know directors are there to help us get further. But sometimes that further sounds negative. It sounds like criticism because it is, you know, it's criticism. That's not to hamper us. So don't get locked into the I'm only a turner, I'm only a jumper. I only, you know, dance adagio well, or I only, you know, am a character act- actress or actor. Don't get locked in that. You're the only one who can put a lid basically on your box. I feel like that's the most important lesson. I wish I'd learned. And then the other really important lesson is to know your body. Because if you know your body, and I mean how it functions, how it moves, what bones connected to what bones, what ligaments and joints are connected, then no one can lie to you. 
No one can tell you you're supposed to do things that you're like, no, no, that doesn't work for me. And not even work for me, but work for longevity. I don't mean tell your teachers no. I don't mean that at all. I just mean that the more you know about what your instrument can do, the better you'll be able to play it. Those are the things I wish I'd gotten or maybe understood a little sooner. Because maybe I wouldn't have as many injuries as I do now, but my injuries are also informing my work. It's so much to know that there is still so much to learn is also important. Yeah, I think that humility is a, a very powerful thing for an artist. Mm-hmm. Right, so, yes. So um, thank you so much for taking the time, and we can't wait to see you and see the company and see the work, and safe travels. Thank you, thank you. Like I always say, clap no matter what. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, Hope. Thank you. (laughs) I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye.